The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. It is indeed a pleasure for me to be here this morning. And my prayer all week has been that um, whatever words that I say become irrelevant because I would like God to come and breathe life into what you need to hear. That's really what the whole point of this sharing is, is that God wants to speak to each one of us this morning. And I I pray that I don't get in the way of that. But I want to share with you something that's very uh, deep in my heart, uh, something that I have been pondering for many years. Uh, For the last several years, God has been speaking to me about the the need for the church to become mature. Sometimes I am amazed at the immaturity that comes out of me. Um, And some of you. We should be better than this. And the reality is the church is only as strong as the weakest member of us. And it's my heart to see the the church become more mature if we're going to respond to the world that's around us. You know, just really reading the news can help us to be aware of what a mess this world is and is becoming more uh, of a mess. It's, It's amazing. And we as God people know, need to know how to survive and even thrive in this messy environment that we live in. The, the Bible tells us that in the last days, many, uh, many of us, the faith of many of us will be shaken. And the last time I, I spoke here, I talked about Matthew 24 and the need for all of us to remain faithful to the task. What's on my heart is that we as Christians become mature so that we can stand firm to the end, that we can really survive and accomplish all that God wants us to do. One of the lessons that I think we can learn from the Chinese church is the, that that particular part of the body of Christ is how to maintain or how to stand firm in the faith in the midst of difficult situations. They, they face some difficult, hard situations up there. And I, I think they have something to speak to us about that. So what I want to do is I want to talk this morning about what is a biblical response, a bib- biblical perspective and a biblical response to difficult times. And so I've entitled this message, Pure Joy Through Difficult Times, How to Overcome Suffering, Discouragement, Persecution, and Life Trials. Now, most of us have gone through difficult times. Right? How many, can you, have you ever been through a difficult time? Raise your hand. Did you ever have a really bad day that you remember? As I look back on my life, I have a clear memory of, of the worst day of my life. It was June 17, 1986. And my wife and I had gone in for a routine medical thing. And um, what came out of that day was two surgeries that day. And the news of a potential life-threatening illness that we didn't have a clue would be happening. And, um, you know, it, it demanded a, you know, additional surgery that day and kind of a started a two-year process of, of treatment. And I wish I could tell you that we faced that bad day with, you know, as, as real examples of pillars of faith. Um, the, the, the reality is, is that we were not emotionally or spiritually ready for such a proclamation. And we were devastated. Um, it, it just really threw us for a loop. You know, in the next two years was a, a kind of a blur of emotions as we kind of explored different treatment options and, and went through, I think, eight different surgeries and so forth. It was just not a whole lot of fun. 
What that did, though, is that it pressed me in to find out what God says about difficult times. What, what, I mean, this isn't supposed to happen to Christians who really love God, right? I mean, isn't that, the, isn't that sometimes what we're taught? I, you know, I don't know how to describe to you the, the emotional turmoil, turmoil that we were facing. Inwardly, we had all kinds of fears and doubts and kind of wondering how in the world God would allow this to happen to us. I mean, this should not happen. Externally, we faced all kinds of questions about our faith and like, do you really believe that God can heal you? Do you really believe that God cares about what you're going through? And, and the implication of that, folks, is that if you really would have had faith in the beginning, this wouldn't have happened to you. Maybe you didn't come from that kind of tradition, but we did. It was really difficult. And I'm very glad to be able to stand up in front of you today and say the worst did not happen. Praise God for that. But it was a tough process. And I realize that for some people going through difficult times, the worst does happen. We just, uh, Friday a week ago, we just lost a sister in Kunming, China, that went to Bangkok for a routine surgery, had surgery two weeks ago today, and, um, and Friday morning she died of a blood clot. She had only been in China for one month. I mean, folks, that doesn't make sense. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But it happened. And so the worst does happen sometimes. But I want to share with you some thoughts and some of my process as I learn more fully what God says about suffering. A verse that affected me dramatically is James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I looked up the Greek word uh, for this because I was curious as, as to what are the implications of this, of this passage and, and some of the words. What, what was James really trying to say here? And the word for consider is, is, is a, it's in the imperative sense. It means to command, to figuratively, to deem, to, to, to command for you to consider this is the way it should be. Now, it's quite um, strong, which I was a little surprised at. The word for pure is, isn't quite translated quite accurately. It's the word pas. It means all or anything, the whole. So, and consider all, everything you should, and everything, everything that exists, you should consider this. For joy, kara means cheerfulness or calm delight. So James is commanding his readers to have all cheerfulness or calm delight in the midst of difficult situations. Those of you that were at the men's retreat this week know that we, we talked about maturity and in, in the stages of a man's uh, maturing process, or what we assume and hope will be a maturing process. And the, the place of joy in that whole, that whole endeavor, that God created us for joy. He created us to be joyful in him. He, his whole intent was that we would experience joy. And we do, and Roger Boyd defined joy as being in a state of, of, of delight, being delighted with somebody who's delighted to be with us. Think about that for a little bit. Joy is being in that state of being where you're with somebody who's delighted to be with you. Think about that as we go along here this morning. The New Living Translation says, Dear Brothers, 
When trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not an adulterer. I've never murdered anybody. I'm a good guy, right? But I'm convinced that I have disobeyed that Bible verse more than any other Bible verse. I don't often do that. Consider it pure joy. I mean, who are you kidding? When you go through tough times, I'm much better at whining and complaining and, and fussing and claiming, saying it's not fair and, and, and being depressed and upset and, and uh, <laughs> usually blaming somebody. Um, but pure joy, that is not, uh, to use a computer term, that's not a default position, okay? That's not a default setting. Pure joy doesn't what, isn't what comes naturally out of me. But the Bible commands us to consider it pure joy when we go through difficult situations. That tells me that pure joy, learning to be joyful, is a learning, learned process. It's a learned behavior. It's something that we have to grow into. It's not something that happens automatically. It's something we have to work at to, make, to learn how to be joyful in the midst of, midst of difficult places. And I want to share this morning some things that I think were very helpful to me at learning to be more joyful in our life. Is it even humanly possible to be, to experience pure joy when we go through difficult times? Is that even humanly possible? And I'd like to suggest this morning, and some of you may disagree with me, that I don't think it is humanly possible. I think it's only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that as, a little, as we go on here today. Joy is a learned behavior based on having the life of Christ in us. It's a learned behavior as we get closer to the Lord and as we grow in our faith of who God is, we learn to be joyful in everything. I was reminded of Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of, a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, this is following Hebrews 11, of course, the great faith chapter describing all the guys that made it, that all the guys who, who learned to have faith in God in the midst of difficult situations. Um, these are my heroes and they should be your heroes. But since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. I want to underscore that. We do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy, the same Greek word, awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. It's as we experience the reality of Jesus living in our lives that we can learn to experience pure joy in difficult times. You know, the reality is, whether we want to admit it or not, human or Christian believers are not immune to suffering. In fact, sometimes I think it almost seems like Christian believers suffer more than others. And the reality is, is that God promises many things, but he never promised us immunity from suffering in this life. Psalms 34 and 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, 
but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How's that for a promise? If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be persecuted in one form or another. The, the issue of suffering is a complex reality for many of us who want to sincerely follow Jesus. There, there are many kinds of suffering and many reasons why we suffer. Sometimes there are very complexing mysteries, like my friend's niece who died after coming on the mission field for one month. I don't understand that. But our faith in the goodness of God can be severely tested through suffering. And our response to suffering has the potential to make us or break us. Our response is so important. I don't want to meddle with anybody's theology, but wouldn't it be really convenient and nice if God somehow promised us that if we would serve him, we would never be seriously tested in any way? Wouldn't that be great? That if you, if, a, if trouble come, all you have to re- do is rebuke it in the name of, the, of, the, of Jesus and it would disappear? Or that, you know, if you had enough faith, you can make anything change in terms of, of making sure that all bad stuff stays away from us, I, I frankly think it's a false teaching, and contrary to biblical teaching, that that kind of theology, that, that, that if we follow Christ, we are promised prosperity, promised to have nothing but good things happen to us. I think that's a false teaching, that all we need to do is simply rebuke it or call upon God, who's our covenant partner, that he is obligated to come down and immediately deliver us from any circumstances. I think God will rescue us. But I think sometimes the the deliverance doesn't come quite as quickly as what we would anticipate. And there are times that we will suffer and have, have to go through some difficult things. There is sweetness and comfort and prosperity in the gospel. But there are also fiery trials, afflictions, sufferings, persecutions, and rejection. Apostle Paul knew what it was to have a lot, and he knew what it meant to have little. Philippians 4.12 says, Sometimes he had more than enough. Other times he suffered need and hunger. Does this mean that Paul didn't have faith that he went through these times? No, I think it's because he had faith that he went through these times. You see, I think faith, really trusting who God is, really believing who God is, kind of compels us to move out of our comfort zones, move out of our safe little environments, and go into places that we confront a real enemy who wants to stop us. We confront people who don't like to hear the message because we are interfering with their lives and we're, we're sharing with them another reality that they don't want to look at. I, I think if we have faith, it moves us into doing things that, that, um, that can create, you know, make, create hardships, such as, as I, I know you're not supposed to say this in church, such as squatty potties in China. Um, you know, that's not, to me that's suffering, okay? Um, <laughs> particularly when I was recovering from knee surgery. Oh, man. Um, but it, 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 if you really have faith in God, 
There's going to be a love for people that's going to well up inside of you that gets you out of your out of your comfort zones. And I realize I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I mean, many of you have left all that's comfortable for you to come out of obedience to the call of God, to come into places that are difficult for you, are tough places to be in. But I think that I, I just, when we talk about suffering, we have to realize that that real faith causes us not to be comfortable. But real faith causes us to reach out in love to people. And I think it's really important that we, we uh, realize that God calls us to share the gospel in a struggling world and to combat a very real enemy that would love to defeat you. Yes, God has given us the power to overcome, but not without a fight, not without having to experience some difficulties. Someone asked C.S. Lewis one time what he, why he thought the righteous suffer. And they were kind of expecting a really nice theological response. And C.S. Lewis's response was this. Why not? They're the only ones who can really take it. (laughs) In that statement, they're the only ones who can really take it, is a deep, deep theological understanding. Because we can endure suffering because of the joy that we can have in God. So how do we learn that? How do we learn to become joyful in the difficult situations? Before I talk, go into that, I'd like to just kind of look at what, are, what is our responses, uh, what's our response to suffering? You know, there are many, many reasons why we suffer. And I just want to kind of quickly go through these and, and kind of give a quick response to this. And this is going to sound a bit cliche-ish, but um, if you want to talk more about it, I'd be certainly happy to do that. Um, Our response to suffering is so very important if we're going to survive difficult times. Briefly, if you're suffering because of your sins, what are we supposed to do? Repent and stop sinning. If you're suffering because of mistakes that you've made, how many of you made mistakes and are suffering that suffer for it? You know, my my list is long and distinguished. You know, what we're supposed to do then is to, to seek to gain wisdom. To learn, to be open, to, to have a teachable heart to say, boy, I don't want to do that again. What, what am I supposed to learn through this? If you're suffering because of sickness, give thanks to God for his promises and pray to receive the healing that God has for you. Along with this, I would have to put in as a member care person, if you're experiencing uh, woundedness from your past, God wants to heal you. Don't sit there and just keep taking that. God wants to heal you. Learn. I'm amazed how many times God will take wounded people, lead them through a process of healing, and then use that very woundedness for God's, for his glory in helping other people. That has happened over and over and over again. Um, and I think says something why God allows some things to happen. Because he can, he can heal anything and he can help us through any situation, any circumstances. And so if you're experiencing woundedness, because of, uh, if you're wounded because of past experiences, get some healing for that. Um, Roger's number is, um, he can, uh, you can contact uh, Roger and a number of other member care people here. If you're suffering because of the sins of other Christians, confront them. According to Matthew 18:15 to 18, above all, forgive them, 
and seek wisdom from God about how to respond to them and to love them and to relate to them. If you're suffering persecution from unbelievers, offer your suffering to God. Pray, James 5.14. Give thanks to God and rejoice, James 1.2, as we've referred to. 1 Peter 4.13. You're also called to love your enemies, to pray for them, and to bless them. You can read that in Matthew 5.44. If we're really following Christ... We will at some point experience persecution. Some of us are suffering simply because it just seems like life is conspiring against us. That somehow that through loss or the events that have taken place, we just seem to be going through a real dry time. And, and that dry time is frustrating. It's difficult. It seems like God has kind of disappeared. And, and when we go through this type of suffering, I, I think it's just important that we don't give up. That we persevere seeking God. Get people to pray with you. Ask God to, to help you understand why you're going through this desert time. It's so important that we don't allow bitterness in, in, toward God or discouragement to enter your hearts. Get, and as I said, get people to pray for you, to join with you. Don't try to go through these times alone. You know, it's not going to solve the problem. But it's always better to go through something when you have somebody by your side. It's so important that we do not yield to discouragement because of suffering. I think this is one of the most, uh, the greatest battles that we face if we're going to learn how to be joyful. The battle to stay encouraged. Praise and worship becomes a key, a major key in, in walking through trials. You know, if we really get, I mean, there's a reason we call this a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is something that you give that costs you something. It doesn't something, it's not something that you give just because you get out of abundance. But you give a sacrifice of praise because he's worthy, not because you feel so wonderful. And so a, a, a praise that's a sacrifice brings honor and glory to God and, and helps you survive through difficult times. It will help you get out of trouble quicker. And I think help you survive. You'll get stronger and frankly feel less pain through difficult times if you learn to praise God. I remember a time when, uh, I don't want to go, it's too, it's too long of a story, but right out of college I had the wonderful opportunity of not being able to find a job for like two years. And, um, and so I was working as a carpenter. And um, that's not what I went to college for. I'm not a very good carpenter. I hated it. And I was found myself sinking deeper and deeper in discouragement and depression. And somebody told me that if I'm going to get out of this, I need to learn to praise God in the middle of this circumstance. And so I would start making myself praise the Lord. And I really had to, I really worked at driving to work in the morning at 6.30 in the morning. I would force myself to praise. And it was amazing the difference it made in my whole affect, the way I responded, the way I felt as I, as I beginning. And, and praise the Lord, I, I'm no longer a carpenter. I did learn some things, and I saved myself a lot of money in my carpentry. But um, learning to praise God in the midst of circumstances that are not very pleasant. I want to take us to a very familiar passage in Acts 16. And I want to read this to you because I think it's an example of how to learn 
to experience joy when we go through difficult times. If you want to turn to your Bibles, Acts 16, verse 16, I'm also going to have it up here. Once while we were going to this place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. This is written by Luke. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us around shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. You know, that sounds like a good thing, right? But she kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. I'd call that a hard time, a difficult thing. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such an order, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately all of his, he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he came to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now, it makes perfect sense in this story why the jailer had a lot of joy. He just escaped committing suicide, escaped getting punished for having thinking all his people that were under his care. He had just gotten saved. I mean, that's a great time to experience joy. But I want to focus on Paul and Silas, as you can imagine. I mean, I don't get it. If I would have, when I was younger and I read this story, I thought they had the order of it wrong. You see, what I would have done is that I would have waited till after the earthquake and after this, the jailer and all his whole family came to the Lord. I think that's a great time to have a worship service. I think that's a great time to get into praise and worship. But Paul and Silas were in that jail at midnight praising and worshiping God. They were experiencing the joy of the Lord without any indication of a deliverance about ready to come. There was no evidence of an earthquake coming. No evidence that they were going to get out of jail. What there was evidence of 
is that it was midnight. It was extremely dark. They had been severely flogged. That meant they hurt. They were in pain. They were in the inner room. I can't imagine that that place wasn't extremely dirty and wet. Now, if you're in a dark, damp, dirty place and you're hurting, what is your usual response? I know what mine is. But they had learned to experience joy irregardless of the circumstances. They experienced joy before the deliverance was seen. Folks, if we're going to become mature in God, we have to learn to do that too. And that's, the, that's where I want to head. That's where I want to learn to do. To be so full of the presence of God that I'm able to experience that kind of joy without any indication of a deliverance taking place. Without any hope of something that will happen. They were worshiping before the deliverance was experienced. And I believe that that's where the major spiritual battles are won and lost. Before we see God's deliverance. I'm not saying this is easy. And I'm certainly, absolutely not saying that that's where I, what I experience all the time. But I am saying that learning to be joyful is what we're to work toward. If we, and we need to grow in if we're going to become mature disciples of Jesus. Last year there was an Indian brother that was here and he, he gave a really good word. And I want to talk about, I just want to refer back to that. Many of you were not here because he was talking about faith. How many of you can look back and see all the times that God really helped you? You really felt God's presence. You can look back and say, but God delivered me there. God took care of me there. I experienced God's provision there. How many of you remember those kinds of events, right? How many of you believe that Jesus is coming back and we're going to be with him for eternity? Yeah. Uh, okay. Many of us have that hope. You see, we, have t- we tend to have lots of faith for the past. And we tend to have lots of faith for the future. But where our faith tends to struggle is in the middle of a situation. Before we've seen that deliverance. Before we, have, we know the conclusion to the matter. Before we've seen the provision come in. We're in the middle of something. And it's easy for us to lose sight of who God is. And, and, and not have the faith that he's going to take care of us. That he's going to see us through. That his good, the goodness, that we're going to see the goodness of God. We, that's where our faith really struggles. Faith is in God is what produces joy. The opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of faith is fear. Believing, not trusting God. Not having confidence that God's going to meet our need. God is faithful. And he will bless us in the long run. But we need to, have, we need to trust him in the middle of our different causes, difficulties. Why does God allow suffering? There's a, there's a book out right now that is causing a lot of controversy. And I've decided to mention it anyway because I like it. And so if you don't like it, you can talk to me. But it's called The Shack. How many of you have read it or know about it? Um, some people don't like it because they don't like the images that it presents of God. I think it's, 
it's missing the whole point because it's a metaphor. Uh, and it's a metaphor about God and why he allows suffering and, and how much he loves and understanding the unity of the, of the Trinity. Um, so if you don't like some of the images, it's okay. Um, but there's some controversy about whether they get, they get caught up in some of the images. But the shack talks about an understanding of God allowing so much suffering to take place because the one thing God chooses not to do is interfere with all of our free will, all of our decisions about what we're going to do. He, he lets us do things. And because he, he loves us so much not to be controlling, that causes a lot of difficulty in us. So why does God allow so much of this suffering? What's his intent in allowing so much of this suffering. Now I want to take you to Hebrews 12, verse 7. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all have, a hu- have human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more shall we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers dis- disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He disciplines us for our good so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, who become mature because of the discipline of God. God loves us so much, and he loves us too much not to leave us ignorant. He wants us to learn how to walk in joy. I want to tell you about my youngest son a little bit. As a father, this refers to fathers. If, if my wife, my, my youngest son is my third child, and if uh, my wife and I would have stopped at two, we were, would have really thought we were the world's best parents. We really would have, you know. But then we had Kirk. And I could talk for the next hour about some of the ways that Kirk, some of the things that he did and the embarrassment that I experienced at his hand, et cetera, and et cetera. He's now a wonderful young man, believe it or not. For those of you that have strong-willed kids, there is hope, okay? One day I was sitting at the dining room table, and I was, um, I think I was paying bills, and I heard the front door slam shut. And it just caught my attention. I looked up and I saw my, my two oldest kids watching television, and I saw Vicky in the other room. I think you were ironing or something. I don't know what you were doing in there. And Austin dawned to me who went out the door. Well, the only one left is Kirk, my, my two-year-old. He was two years old at the time. I forgot to tell you that. And so I, I got up and I went dashing out of him. And sure enough, he, it was him. He was somehow at two years old. He was the only. He was so manually dexterous he could get out of anything. So he's, he's actually running across the yard and such, running down the road. We lived at the bottom of a hill. It's the only hill that's in Goshen, Indiana. Um, but it's kind of at the bottom of the hill. And sure enough, a car was just cresting the top of this hill, heading toward my son, Kirk. And I took after him. 
and, and caught up with him. And he's running, I mean, he's running down the middle of the road, having a great time. Big smile on his face. He was, having a, he was delighting. He was joyful. And I caught up with him, and I scooped him up and took him off the road. And he just looked at me with this big joyful look in his eye and says, Oh, Daddy, thank you so much for disciplining me, for keeping me from getting hit by this car. You believe that? No, he threw a royal fit. You know, kicking, screaming, head back. You know, people thought I had just amused used him by taking him off of this road. Now, should my response have been, oh, I'm sorry, Kirk, I messed up your life here. I shouldn't have interfered. You were having a good time. Excuse me, I'll back off. Here, would you like me to put, down, put you down again? You know, no, I shouldn't do that. What am I supposed to do? Discipline him. He was ignorant of the fact that he was in danger. He was having a good time, but he did not realize what was coming at him. Did I do the right thing? Of course I did. Picked him up, took him off the road, held him until he got over his fence, tried to explain to him the cars that went by, you know, you know tried to explain to a two-year-old what a 2,000-pound car can do to you. Um, but I did the right thing. He didn't appreciate what I did at all. He was I interfered with what he thought was joy, but he needed to learn true joy out of the discipline that I brought to him. I hope you get the comparison. How many times do we do dumb things that God needs to rescue us and we don't even see why he needs to rescue us? Well, we throw a fit when he disciplines us. And we need to learn to be joyful in the midst of that discipline. And maybe I'm the only one that needs to learn that, but I, I do. I've often told people that I won't learn from a person who has not suffered and given and learned to be joyful in that suffering. They've not learned humility that suffering brings. They've not learned to experience through difficult times how to have faith in God. What they've not learned is they've not suffered the way that Jesus has suffered, so they cannot teach the way Jesus taught. I really believe that. So, how do we learn joy in difficult times? And I've listed three essential elements in overcoming the difficulties life can bring. I hope these, these may sound a little theoretical, but I hope you realize how practical they are. The first element that we need to really get involved in if we're going to learn to experience true joy in difficult times is we need to learn how to come into the presence of God. Worship, Bible study, meditation, whatever helps you to experience the reality of God with you. We need to get into God's presence. Being in the presence of God reveals so many realities and perspectives that we cannot get otherwise. I, I, one of the psalms that has meant so much to me is Psalm 73. Um, and, and in Psalm 73, Asaph wrote this psalm, and it starts out, Yeah, surely God is good to Israel for those who are pure in heart. But as for me, I oh, my feet almost slipped. I almost, I nearly lost my foothold. 
For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can you identify with that? I can. How many of you get upset when you see people that shouldn't be prospering prosper? You know, it's like, God, where are you here? I'm struggling, you know. I, I'm here over here in Chiang Mai suffering for God. And I see people back home and they're buying these 52-inch screen TVs. What is the deal with that? That's not fair. None of you have ever been so petty. Except for me. He envied the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the Psalms go on. Asaph keeps writing about his feelings, about seeing all these things and, and seeing all the fact that the wicked prospering. And it just seems like whatever they put their hand to, they succeed in. And he's really upset and, and discouraged about this. And then you get the first 16. And this is the crux of the whole chapter. When I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. When I tried to understand this, intellectually reason through this, it didn't make sense sense to me. It was oppressive. Until I moved beyond my intellectual perspective and entered God's sanctuary into his presence. And then I understood. It's by coming into God's presence that we see God's perspective, that we understand true realities, and we deal with our own thoughts and feelings. Folks, I don't know how many times I've been about, upset about something, and I come into God's presence and, and, and somehow the whole thing changes. I see a new reality. It reminds me of a story that I heard. I hope I can remember it. But it's, I might have even told you about this story before. But it's, it's an old missionary that had traveled, worked for many years in Africa and had come through, you know, was on their way home after years of service. And they decided to take the slow boat home to have a little time to relax before they, on their way back to America. And so they were on this boat, and on this boat, too, was a, a general. And everybody was, this general was very successful, and, and so many people were fawning all over this guy, and, and he had the luxury uh, compartment and all this kind of stuff, and everybody ignored this old couple that had spent years laboring for God in Africa. They get to the shores of America, and there's this big crowd and this prayed this band welcoming this general home and there was nobody waiting for this couple who had spent their life serving God. This guy, the old missionary, was so depressed. And they went off and got in their hotel room and and um, they went to where they were going and and his wife said, I mean he was so despondent. And his wife said, you better go talk to the father about this. You better get into God's presence. That's a very wise statement. Okay, You want to help somebody, tell him to go pray about it, things. So this old guy goes into his bedroom, and he's in there for, I mean, he goes in depressed, discouraged. He's in there for about 30 seconds, and he comes out, and he's joyful and happy and excited. And his wife goes, what happened to you? What did the father say to you? And the father said, he, the, the old man said, well, the father just reminded me that I'm not home yet. You get it? 
God changes our perspective and tells us things that we don't know unless we get into his perspective. Unless we get into his presence and hear what he wants to say to us. If we want to survive difficult times and learn to experience pure joy, we have to learn to practice the presence of God. It is people who, who blames God, who blames and, and it, you know, is discouraged. They're the ones who are not going to experience relief because they're, they're not going to come into God's presence if they're blaming God. Coming into God's presence is another learned behavior. It's, again, not our default response. It's something that we need to learn to do. And as I shared with you, when I began to go through difficult times, you know, I'd make myself break out into praise, asking God's presence. You know, break forth into joy, O my soul, became a command to my soul to allow me to open my spirit up to the Lord. Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So if we want to learn to experience pure joy through difficult times, we first need to come and learn to come in the presence of God. The second essence that we need to learn is to, to know the truth. And there's only one way to learn the truth, and that is to get the scriptures into your bones, to read it, to study it, to learn it, to meditate on it, to think about it. Reminding ourselves of God's promises is so important. There are so many words of encouragement in the Bible, the Psalms. We, we need to remind ourselves of the truth. I mean, going back to our passage, you know, where it says... Um, Oh, I lost my place here. Here it is. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you, go, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What do you know? Do you know what the Bible says? What do you know? Are you full of the promises of God? You know, I remember, uh, I mean, all of us are very familiar with Job. I mean, that guy really had a bad day. In fact, I think he had the, the worst bad day anybody could ever had. And I, as you read through Job, there's several things that stand out to me. One is, Job never knew about this conversation between Satan and God in the first two chapters. There's no indication that he ever had any knowledge that this conversation existed. And yet he found a way not to stray from the truth of God's character and God's intentions. If we're going to survive difficult times, we have to have a firm sense of who we are in Christ. Our identity as beloved children of Christ. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. There's, there's the, the passage that Rick read, from, read to us at the beginning. We have to know that. And have to have it into our heart in a deep way if we're going to survive. When I look back over our rough time, you know, I told you about our, my bad day. When I look back over that, I, I'm reminded of, of the different ways that I went into the scripture. One of the things that I had to deal with was fear. I didn't even know I, I was a fearful person, and I'm generally not a fearful person. But there was something that I 
that spark got sparked in me by going through that time was fear, wondering what was going to happen, fear of the future that I didn't even know existed. And I had to go and search the scriptures for what does the Bible say about fear. And, um, you know, I mean, God's prescription for fear is pretty simple. I mean, if you read all the times that people were afraid in the Bible, what was God's response? Fear not. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. I'm right here. Don't worry about it. You know, easy for him to say. But you know what? If we're convinced in faith of who God is, that makes perfect sense. We don't have to reason to be afraid. God's with us. He loves us. He cares about us. Are you convinced of that truth? So many good things came out of our difficult time. And I look back on that and I, I think about how much more empathetic we are to people going through difficulties than we were before. You know, we learn not to give easy religious answers, all those religious platitudes that people can give. We learn to listen to feelings and, and to just be there with people, realizing that it's often not what we say, it's who we are, just loving on people. We saw God's goodness in finances and, and friends and guidance, and we became stronger, more mature, and our faith actually became stronger through that time. But it's because we pressed into truth, pressed into what we knew about God and about who we are. The third element that we need to have in us if we're going to survive difficult times and experience, learn to have joy, is the fellowship with brothers and sisters. You know, being with brothers and sisters who just love and support but don't blame and don't give any easy answers is a tremendous source of strength that God intended us to walk in as brothers and sisters. And yet I realize that many times the church doesn't do that. We have a tendency to want to stay away from people who are going through difficult times. I think we're afraid that it's going to rub off on us or we're going to catch the virus or something. Or somehow we need, you know, particularly when someone is suffering because of their own sin, then we tend to shoot them. What God intended is that we love one another and love one another that doesn't end, that's really unconditional love. It's, it's interesting that, that Jesus says that if we love one another, it's going to be how the world knows that he exists. All of us are missionaries. Many of us are missionaries. And yet I'm, I'm concerned sometimes what people see in us and how we relate to one another. The body of Christ is, needs to love each other in a very real, in a very practical way. And I know there are so many examples of, of the church doing this. And I don't want to emphasize the negative. But I do want to emphasize that I think it's an area that we need to grow in. I need to conclude here. And I want to conclude with a thought. We want to learn how to experience pure joy, all joy, in the midst of difficult circumstances. As we go through our difficult times, I want to leave us with this thought. The reason we can endure is because someone else suffered on our behalf. Don't just think of your own suffering, but consider the suffering of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was no stranger to suffering. 
As God in the flesh, he was certainly willing to take some of his own medicine. He lived, suffered rejection, and died a horrendous death of agony, all because of love. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected, of man of sorrows, acquainted with deep grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles was a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. When you go through difficult times, don't you think it's possible to put our trust in a God we love so much that he suffered all that for us? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know. What do we know? We know that we can trust a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to take our sins upon himself. That he died and came back to life who ascended to heaven until the appointed time where he will return to take us all home to live with him forever. We can trust a God who loves that much. We can experience joy through difficult times because our faith is in a God who did this for us. Let us pray. Father God, I, I want to just come before you in front of my brothers and sisters and just acknowledge that I have a long way to go to have that much faith in you to respond with joy no matter what comes my way. But Lord, I want to do that. I want to grow in that maturity and to be a man of God that really can respond with pure joy, with all joy, because my faith in you is so solid that it doesn't matter what I go through. I know that you are with me. I know that you will not forsake me. And I know that in time my deliverance will be seen. Even if I go through death, my deliverance is sure. And I pray for myself and I pray for each person in this room. I don't know what they're going through even right now. But I pray, Lord, that in whatever, they, whatever we experience, that we will come and, and come into your presence and allow you to speak truth to us, allow you to, to give us a perspective that we can't get on our own, that we can't devise in our own rationale and our own thinking, but can only come straight from your heart. I pray, Lord, that we will cling to truth, that we will have the realities of our identity in you so strongly that, that we don't get shaken by circumstances because we know that we can trust you and have faith in you. And I pray, Lord, that you will mold us together in a body that really, really, really cares for one another, gets involved in, our, in each other's lives in a way that we can really support each other when we go through tough times and therefore be a light to the nation around us. God, help us with this, I pray, for your honor and glory so that we can be mature men and women of God. In Jesus' name, amen.
You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.